So um, what I'm going to do today is just run you through some of the things that I think are a really amazing and fascinating and when I learned them for the first time as a woman who would by the time I really got to grips with some of this stuff I'd already had one baby and so you'd think that having been you know a woman having exercised and been really keen on fitness and then you know got pregnant been pregnant had a baby I would be pretty in tune with my body and what it was doing and then I started looking at um you know women's physiology and how that connects to our experience of life and I was like oh yeah no I didn't even even me as a scientist and a physiologist who'd been studying physiology for 20 years didn't know some of that stuff and and that's why I was really keen to say if I don't know it there's a good chance that other people haven't it's not that they don't know it but they might not have connected to it or realized it and so that's what I'm really keen to kind of share with you some of those things that I find absolutely fascinating as someone who's trying to kind of fulfill my potential whether that's as um, someone in work in life as a mum as a friend as a wife whatever it is um, so I spent um, as Dean said um, a lot of the last decade supporting amazing athletes and the organization that I work for was the biggest provider of what we call science and medicine support to Olympic and Paralympic athletes. So all of the nutrition, the SNC, the psych, the biomechanics, the physiology, uh, all of those things, we helped surround an athlete with a squad of really intelligent people to help them be the best version of themselves um, as an athlete and perform on the world stage. And um, so that was a remarkable experience. And in the latter years of, of doing that, um, I started to really dig deep into, um, are we supporting female athletes as females, as well as athletes? Because intuitively to me as a physiologist, as someone who understood human biology, I knew that, that fundamentally we are different, men and women are different. And you don't have to have a PhD in physiology to know that, like my son will tell you and he's eight. Um, we're different and so I really wondered whether we were taking that into account and giving it enough consideration as we were supporting these amazing athletes we were claiming to be world-class were we actually really looking at them as 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 who they were as as a woman and as an amazing athlete and um, so I spent a bit of time at the beginning of that journey a few years ago asking people I asked people who were working with some of our most successful female athletes whether they were teams of athletes who had won World Cups or gold medal winning female athletes. I was like, what do you do with them that might be different or unique to what you might do with a male team or their colleague in their same squad who's male? And unanimously, um, those people said, oh no, I, I don't really do anything different. I do, I do kind of the same, right? I was like, well, you're very successful your athlete is very successful so maybe maybe that's right and then I'd go to the next person and they go no no you know like I've trained the men's squad for a long time and we just basically transpose what we did with them onto the women and it's working they're doing brilliantly so I was like okay well maybe that's what we have to do um it didn't rest easy with me when I went home to bed and I was like no we're so different we're so different and maybe 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 we're not doing it right um and the reason we're not different is is you know so in so many ways I'm going to focus on a few today but the list is kind of endless um and 
you know, one of the reasons when we're talking about how we move, for example, is that from the moment that we are developing in the womb, we are exposed to different levels of sex hormones, whether that's testosterone, if we're going to develop into um, a boy or a man, and uh, estrogen and progesterone, if we're going to develop into um, a woman. And even the influence of those hormones in the womb affects us as we grow and develop there, but also when we come out and we socialize as small children it affects how we play and what we play with um you know the sort of toys that we play with are influenced by what's been happening in the womb and those sex hormones our skeletons develop differently so um, women as you probably know have a wider pelvis um, to support pregnancy and childbirth they have shorter bones than men men have longer bones and they're taller than women and whilst that you know appears as their height or their build what it also means is that women are four times more likely to be uh, to suffer a non-contact ACL injury in the knee than men, four times more likely. Um, and that's because our hips are wide and the angle between our hips and our knee um, makes it kind of more um, dangerous for, for us to land, turn, um, if we are not robust enough. Now, um, I don't know how many of you would have been taught from an early age that we need to really work on landing, turning, like not letting our knees cave in to prepare us for doing sport later in life. Because I speak to so many women who don't play netball anymore or don't do exercise anymore because they, when they were doing netball in their teens, they suffered a really catastrophic injury. Now, injury isn't totally all down to one thing, but being aware of the difference between male and females in that respect would help condition um, and get women fit for the activities they're trying to do. We are also different in our brains and there is loads of talk about this and actually one of the first books that I can remember being aware of which discussed gender differences was that classic um, men are from Mars and women are from Venus or something like that and it was to do with how women and men think and there's so much current thinking about this there's really great books out there actually about whether it's nature or nurture like are we born with different brains and develop different brains because of the fact that we're different genders or does society Emma? yes so um as someone's mentioned can you get into um participant view on the screen sorry that's okay <laughs> just like a big screen is it a, a go to maybe this um, amy never i know Display you know is settings. it just yeah just to get in the full swap presenter view Ooh, i don't know nah. can you see all my notes and everything or can you just see the slides yeah, I can see the notes, yeah, but you know the side, the right side of the okay, screen. Okay, so you shouldn't be able to see my notes, you should just be able to see my presentation. Let's see, hang on a sec. It's all good. It doesn't I matter, can't, you can see my notes, I, but you don't really want to be reading yeah. it. Um, let me slide share. What are you yeah. using? What tool is that? Monitor, let's see. Uh, try, try this, hang on a sec. You're just in presenter view, that's all someone's saying. I don't know. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, I've just taken it off presenter view. Does that work? Um, on my side is still the same. I haven't got presenter view anymore on my screen. You're using two screens? Yeah. All oh, right, okay. You can share screen. You can share the other screen, I think. Do you, oh, wait a minute. Let, well, let me do this. Hang on a sec. Yeah, but I can't believe. Put it back on this. Oh, there we are. That's that's big. So the your active slide is big there now. Um, just drag the other one over. Okay, so you're sharing the screen now. We can see your presentation on. 
PowerPoint. Um, can you actually see the whole slide there? Yeah, we can see the whole slide now. Yeah, we can see the diagram and stuff. Um, she needs to share the other screen. There we are. Yeah, that, so that, honestly, that, that's, that's... Are you sure? Because I know what they mean. It means that I need to share... What about use prevent presenter view under automatic but there? What's that gonna do? Or do you need to be participant view? Um yeah, you're gonna be participant. Oh here we go, hang sec automatic. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to be fancy with two screens. <laughs> Technology. Let's Involving just do one more zoom. check. Let's just do primary monitor or monitor two. Let's this could be it. Yeah, so if you uh is it it? Yeah. We can see the screen now, but I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if it doesn't matter if it goes full or not. But I think as long as we can see that main screen you got there. So, but um, here's a question. I just, it's blank now, and then I they bring up the, the pictures, or can you just see the whole slide finished version? Yeah, we can see the whole slide. Yeah, women are not all men. It's because of the entire diagram. Mm. Um, see, I don't like that, but it's. <laughs> um, Let's just do, let's just try and, I'm just going to stop sharing this for a second and then I'm going to. Go back position. Drag the screen over to the other one. Ryan, it's okay. People just, I think there was two, one, the screen on the left wasn't updated on the one on the right. Um, so make sure Emma, you got it optimized. All good. See, they're saying words that I'm <laughs> unsure. Let me just share. This wouldn't be the same about screen two. Okay, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, if I now, I gotta stop I... this guy. Like trying to look me up as well. Okay, tell me now. Was what about that? Okay, so right now, are you, are you sharing your screen, yeah? Yes. So right now, you're sharing the Zoom screen. Does the presentation not come up? Well, if you go to the share screen, I think you can pick, it's like screen one, two, three come up. Do you, does that happen with you? I, 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 rec I reckon what we do is we go back to the way it was with the notes. Like, does that make a big difference, Scott? Is it good? Well, no, the pe people are just messaging to say, just in case I am, I wanted it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. I kind of did, but do you know what? we could be here forever if um <laughs> so let me just um get you i'm getting zoom back just didn't want you to miss anything i think because all but yeah just you just get as long as now. i know that i know i'm not like you're not in suspense and i'll go the big reveal and you'll be like i can see it already emma That's... <laughs> <laughs> right. exactly. um let me get you back up and see if i can share my screen The, the second okay. what the second one you had was, was ideal because it was like the screen in full. I uh, didn't show your notes though. I don't know if you want the notes to be on the screen, but uh, okay, your shirt. There we are. That's that's showing the entire slide. Is that what you want? No, but that is what we're gonna go with. Okay, cool, cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um good to know though that I was I was talking to one presentation and you were watching kind of a different version. So there's no big yeah. reveal here, right? <laughs> That's what I need to remember. <laughs> so, sorry. Um, 
the brain stuff. Um, women do think differently from men and, and no matter whether you are part of the you know debate that says nature or nurture and why it happens we do have lots of evidence now that um, the way women think is different so for example a big study showed that women are more empathetic than men and it doesn't mean to say that men are selfish and not empathetic at all it just means on, in general women think about things more empathetically as in they worry and they um it matters to them what other people think. It matters um, to them about their relationships with other people um, and their social networks and the social dynamics around them is really important to how they feel and how they um, express things like confidence or anxiety. All of those things are influenced more by the sort of social network around them. So for example, in, in sport, we know that confidence kind of manifests differently in men and women um, so the guys are more intrinsically confident. So if they think they're going to achieve a goal and for example, their, their trainer or someone has said, you could do this. Like if I train you like this, you can do this. Um, they will be like, okay, I trust you and you know what you're talking about. And you told me I can do it. I believe I can do it. Whereas a woman would perhaps gain her confidence, not from what the trainer was saying, but the relationship they had built up with the trainer. And there's a slight difference there, right? And, and that can be derailed. That confidence can be derailed much more easily if you're looking for things that are out of your control to, to depend on. So a relationship, what other people think, what other people say, what the conditions are around you. And so all it means is it doesn't mean that women are fragile in their confidence. It just means that there are things that can knock women's confidence that are different to things that can knock men's confidence. And just and just being aware of that. And, and I always mention that because when we cope you know when the people on the screen with me Scott and Dean and everyone coaches women and supports women it's really important to know that they don't we don't think exactly like men men are very um process driven they're logical they like process and systems um women prefer social networks and and kind of empathy and feelings and it manifests in sport all the time with the dynamics of teams the dynamics in women's teams and the dynamics in men's teams are different it's really fascinating. Um, the other thing is that our brains as women are really massively influenced by our hormones. And we'll get into that in a bit more in a minute. But in the middle of your screen now, you can see the menstrual cycle. And um, I'll depict it like this just because it's a really good way of showing you that not only are women different from men, because we have these two hormones that men do have. Women have testosterone and men have estrogen and progesterone. But we have, we have sex hormones in abundance as women estrogen and progesterone and men have testosterone in abundance and we have the other ones in very small amounts um so we have loads of estrogen and progesterone those hormones have massive influences on us how we feel physically and emotionally and men don't have that men don't have a fluctuation across a month men's testosterone peaks in the morning and then it sort of declines across the day and the next morning it peaks again and declines across the day and that's pretty much the standard for the rest of their life it does sort of um, trail off over time but with women you know if you look at that graph and you say where it says where you're having your period in the early follicular phase both of those hormones are really low and then when you get to point two at the late follicular phase one of those hormones estrogen is really high and the other one is really low and then when you get to the middle of the next phase the midluteal phase at point three both hormones are quite high progesterone particularly very high and when you get to the end of that phase both hormones have dropped off a cliff now, all of those points 
your physiology is being massively influenced by the levels of hormones that your cycle is kind of um, giving you. And you are not the same physiological specimen at any of those times across the month, whether you whether we're talking about how you would adapt to training, whether we're talking about how you feel, whether we're talking about how your emotions feel, um, anything motivated for life, um, how tolerant you are, um, how clumsy you might be, like loads of things are affected by those hormones. And if, you know, I've always said to people in and around sport and physical activity and movement, if we don't consider them, then we're totally ignoring what makes a woman tick. And that's really important. And I think if we can tune into that and use it to our advantage and A, help um, make it help us optimize our performance in work, in life, in sport, and reduce any anxiety and anguish and, and sort of suffering that we have, then that's, you know, that's absolutely key. And the tr tragedy of it all is that when I found out that no one was really treating women like um, women, they were treating them like small men, I was like, well, you know what, I'll just go off and I'll find all the research that tells you why women are different and how that's important in sport and physical activity and movement um, and diet and nutrition and strength and conditioning. And I'll come back and, you know, I'll teach you all. And then I went, I went over to the literature and didn't find anything. So, and I kind of wondered if I was looking in the wrong place. And ultimately what's happened is that we've used in research and, and I use here some research from sports science and medicine because you know that was where I was working um, we've kind of used the male default to study stuff and the same has happened in medicine and the same has happened in sociology and lots of other things we've used males so the conclusions we've come to about what how to train how to recover um, what to eat whatever is based on males um, or as you can see here there's a lot of research done on mixed um, sex groups now that research is, is poor because it either doesn't take into account that women have a menstrual cycle. So it chucks men and women together, test them on something and then makes a conclusion. And it didn't even see whether a woman was at any different point of her cycle, which we know massively influences how she would react. Um, or it's used women at the point of their cycle where they're most like men, which is where those hormones are really low. So actually you've got quite a, like a homogenous group, a group that look the same because the women are most like men at one time of their cycle, but it doesn't take into account all the rest of their cycle. So only 4% was done exclusively on females and took into account this changing physiology across the month. So I couldn't really go back to any of those people who are working in sport and say, oh, I have the answer. I went back and said, oh, we need to do more work here. We don't have any of the answers. Um, but the exciting thing is we do know about the physiology and you know like you're all clever people out there doing sports science and supporting olympic athletes we can figure this out um but what we can't do is rely on a massive evidence base because there there is none um and and that's we've kind of called that out a bit recently and um and we've kind of urged people to to do more research in women um my, one of my colleagues who's a researcher kind of scooped up all of the research that was done on females in sport on things like you know what um does strength vary across the cycle does um vo2 max vary across the cycle all those sorts of things and actually even though they were the they were the papers that were telling us the answers we needed 
the quality of that research was really, really poor. So what the conclusion she came to was, although we only have 4% of the research telling us about females, about 75% of that isn't really any good because the design, the design of the studies around females and actually accounting for their changing physiology wasn't good enough. So that's a pretty poor picture. And also then if you look at, you know, you go over out of sport and go into mainstream research, you see that um, something like five times more studies into erectile dysfunction than premenstrual syndrome. We know that up to 90% of women will experience PMS at some time in their life or across all of their life. And only about less than 20% of men experience erectile dysfunction. Yet the research isn't there to help women cope, combat, get rid of PMS and it's debilitating people's lives. So again, it's not good enough. And um, there's a big call to kind of get some equality in, in the research that we're doing. Because when we actually go and ask women, women who exercise and the, the women that we are working with, the athletes, 88% of them said that their menstrual cycle affected their performance. And even though we didn't ask them, is that negative or positive? We just said, does it affect your performance? All of them told us about the negative stuff. So they didn't say it positively affected their performance at all. And hopefully I'll, I'll convince you that that's not always the case in a minute. Um, and over 80% of them had never had any education about their menstrual cycle and performance. And we do get some education in school about the biology, you know, like we, we get told where our ovaries are and our womb is and what it's for and how you can get pregnant and the mechanics of all of that. And that's about it. We don't get told about how our cycle might make us feel physically and emotionally in particularly great detail. And we definitely don't get told about any irregularities and how to deal with that. So there's lots of people walking around who don't have the tools to do anything about this stuff. And one of the things that really surprised me was that when we, we asked those same athletes um, about their periods, 30% said they had absent or irregular periods and thir around 30% said they had heavy periods. Um, so that means that, that, that our group of athletes was split, it split into thirds. A third of them were experiencing what we might call a normal cycle. 30% of them, a third of them were um, experiencing um, no periods. That's not normal. And, and we'll, we'll have a quick chat about why that's important. And a third of them were experiencing very heavy periods, which can have effects on your day-to-day -day health and life and your long-term health as well. So there's, pl there's plenty of need um, for us to be talking about this stuff and getting to grips with it. Um, just, just a word on not having periods. In sport, losing your period has, has become a bit of a myth as a gold badge for training hard. So you get girls saying, oh yeah, when I train really hard or when I make weight, you know, make racing weight, I lose my period and that is a really good sign for me. And I'm just here to say that losing your period, not getting your period is never is never a good sign. Your period is a vital sign of health. So if everything is working as it should be, your hormones, your re reproductive hormones will think this body is healthy enough to sustain a pregnancy and have a baby. And your menstrual cycle will you know, be there and healthily functioning. If your body doesn't think you are healthy enough to sustain a pregnancy, it will start shutting down your cycle. And um, that means that you lose your periods, but it also means you lose those amazing hormones, estrogen and progesterone that fluctuate across the month. And those hormones are really, really important for your um, bone health, for your cardiovascular health, for your brain health. Um, and I've seen too many girls, now young women who didn't have periods, either didn't start their periods because they were training very hard as athletes or they had periods and they lost them. They didn't reach out or they didn't think there was anything wrong with that. 
their estrogen levels flatlined. It didn't allow them to build bone health, which is what estrogen does in part. And now they are osteoporotic. So they have brittle bones and they're like 27. So if you're training hard or you're trying to get lean or and you lose your period, it is a sign that you need to adjust something. And it doesn't mean say stop training or eat loads of crap. It just means your balance isn't quite right. And it sometimes is very subtle to get it right. But that will support your health, because if you lose your period, it means all your other systems are, are suffering. Immune function, digestive function, mental function, etc. So that's a quick public health message if you lose your period. And it can be through exercise, but it can also be through stress and trauma. And if they don't come back after three months, you just need to go and have a chat with your GP to see what, what you can do about it. And, and I can talk about heavy periods if anyone wants to explore what you can do about those. Um, I always like to talk about breast support when I'm talking to groups of women because we know that about 90% of women aren't in the right size bra and that does carry over to sport. And we did a big, we've done a big project. It's still ongoing actually with our elite athletes. And when I started it and I've been working with the breast health research group for a long time to try and build a, like a reason why we would really need to address this in our athletes. And I thought these, these athletes, they wear sports bras day in day out like it's it's the only bra they wear surely by luck or judgment they've got the right size the right fit and it turns out they hadn't and so many of them said oh I hate my sports bra it's too tight it digs in it restricts my breathing um, my boobs still hurt at certain times of the month um, my boobs change shape across my menstrual cycle and I don't really know if I'm going to have another bra or not and so we're having loads of great discussions about getting the right bra and it's so important, it, A, it can prevent, in 90% of cases, it can either prevent or really, really lower breast pain. And if you're someone who suffers breast pain related to your cycle, getting a bra that suits you at that time of your cycle can really help. But also, I love the um, story that the, the researchers told me when I first started working in this area, which was breast movement, I don't know why I do this when I do breast <laughs> breast movement um, has a real impact on performance. So when your breasts move, even if it's just slightly, your muscles activate in a different way to try and sort of counteract that movement. It can make your gait different. It shortens your stride. And if you're running a marathon and you were wearing a um, not good enough supportive um, sports bra, you would finish a mile behind where you would be if you're wearing great fitting sports bra because your breast movement is, is A, increasing the energy it's taking you to run because your muscles are activating in a different way and it's shortening your stride length and that will cost you a mile over a marathon. And so when you, you know, when you, I often see women out for their runs and they haven't got great breast support on. And I think that, you know, that's an easy win right there. If we can get that right with them. Um, so I am on a massive mission to dispel or to get rid of this being hormonal a uh, phrase that we use and we only use it with women at a certain time of the month oh you're a bit hormonal and we probably say it to each other and we and men definitely say it to us and partners definitely say it to their partners um we are all hormonal right we don't exist without massive amounts of hormones going up and down all the time um men and women and that's the whole point hormones are amazing they're the only thing that keep us on track they tell us when we're hungry so that we eat so that we can live you know they allow when we eat our food they get the sugars and the fats into the right places and they allow our muscles to adapt and grow they do everything so we're all hormonal and in sport men use their hormones to their advantage all the time there's lots of research on priming 
in male, in male athletes. So priming means getting ready to do sport, for example. And some of the strategies they use are showing videos of like real competitive bouts of something, whether it's boxing or rugby match, um, showing the men winning over their arch enemies, showing some aggression, videos that show aggression. Um, and that gets testosterone up. And then when these guys run out on the rugby pitch or they go and do weightlifting, they are more confident. Um, they've got um, better self-esteem. They're aggressive. They're motivated because that's what that hormone does. Um, our hormones do the same thing for us, not in such an acute way, like not in a, I could just beat my chest and my estrogen would just, you know, rise up. Um, but over the course of the month, our hormones are doing that for us. So they're giving us loads of good stuff as well as some of the crappy stuff. And we always say, oh, I'm hormonal when we're having the premenstrual days. How often have you said when you're having a day where you're like, like this workout feels amazing or I, nothing is phasing me today or I'm just nailing life. You would, how often do you say, oh, I'm so hormonal today. It's amazing because, you know, that might be your estrogen making you feel like that. So um, we are hormonal. We're hormonal all the time. And that's really important. That's the whole point here. I'm going to dive into what those hormones will, will do for you as, as a woman and, and a woman who's working out and trying to be healthy. Um, and another thing to say is that your hormones never create feelings. So when you feel hormonal, um, to use the word that I don't like, um, it's only exacerbating things you already feel. So if you feel hugely frustrated and fly off the handle or hugely emotional and burst into tears, the reason why you're doing that is real. And what saying you are hormonal can do is really diminish those feelings. Um, those feelings are real your hormones are amplifying them. You know, they might be creating neurotransmitters or influencing neurotransmitters, which make them feel, you know, make those feelings feel bigger or make those feelings feel smaller. But the feelings are real. So it's really important to validate your feelings and not just gloss over them. Um, one of the things that I always say about when we're talking about menstrual cycle is that there is no one who is youer than you. You are so unique. Everyone's menstrual cycle is different and everyone's experience of their menstrual cycle will be different from another person. Even though we might share similar symptoms, someone might say, oh yeah, I do get really teary before my period or um, I feel really energetic the day after my period finishes or we have common things that we share, but everyone's experience is so unique. And we've done some research that looked up, you know, why that might be. And we saw that the levels of those hormones, when they go up and down, the peaks that they can reach in some people are much higher than others. And the troughs they can reach much lower than others. And um, everyone's profile, even though it followed a typical pattern, was so different. And then our sensitivity to those hormones is different as individuals. And then all the things that are happening in our lives, our stress, our diet, our workouts are all affecting how we respond to those hormones. So we're all different. And that's frustrating for some people because they want a blueprint. They want to say, OK, when should I train in my cycle? What should I, what should I eat when? What am I going to be like now? And there is no wrong or right answer to that. And my message is always the I'm going to introduce you to some of the things that might be happening, what they mean for you and your body and what you experience. But you have to tune into what's you and what's not you. And there'll be some stuff you won't relate to and there'll be some stuff that you do. Um. And because there is no blueprint and because some of the things that I'll tell you about hormones is that they might make you feel a bit shit and some days they might make you feel brilliant. It's it's tempting for people to say, oh, you know, to, to kind of use it as a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Oh, I didn't, um, I didn't do well at that interview at all. But you know what, it was that time of my cycle where my confidence isn't usually very high. So that's probably why or that that workout felt really shit today. But don't worry, you know, like I'm at this part of my cycle, I'm allowed to be shit. And my message is that every day you have an opportunity to fulfill your potential as a as a person, whether that's your physical potential or your, you know, your emotional potential. Um, but if you use the same strategies every day, you will fail. So for example, when I relate back to sport, the research tells us that um, things like our aerobic capacity, so our ability to do aerobic exercise, endurance exercise, our lactate threshold, so our ability to, to perform really well at high intensity exercise, you know, like running really hard for 10, 20 minutes, um, our strength, our power, none of that changes across the menstrual cycle. So our capability to do activities is unchanged, but every day you will feel different. These hormones will affect your metabolism. They'll affect your, affect your mood and that will affect your ability to realize that potential. So you have to have different strategies on different days, depending on what your cycle experience is like to allow you to fulfill that potential. I hope that makes, I hope that makes sense. I would always ask athletes, do you feel like if your Olympic final fell on any given day of your cycle, you'd be able to win? And if they said, oh God, no, if it fell on that day when I, I have heavy legs and I feel bloated, I can't, you know, I can't put one foot in front of the other. I'm like, well, that's not good enough, right? We don't work for four years for it to be bad luck where your Olympic final falls. If you haven't got a medical condition underlying all of this, there is no reason why we can't find strategies to help you be the best version of yourself in that day. But on any given day, those strategies will be different. So I'm going to run through what some of these hormones do. And maybe you'll tune in to be like, oh, yeah, that, that's me. That's not me. Um, or maybe you're like, actually, I've never really thought about that. Certainly, when I first started learning about this, it explained a lot for me that I had never really tuned in was, was part of my cycle. And not everything is going to be part of your cycle. Some things will be related to other things in your life, but lots will be related to your cycle. So in the first part of your cycle, just after your periods, you've had your period, um, and your estrogen starts rising um, for the first couple of weeks of your cycle. And estrogen is uh, an amazing feel-good hormone. If you think estrogen rises all the way up to the point that you ovulate, and biologically speaking, that's when you want someone, uh, preferably usefully a man, to come. And when you've released your egg, you need your man partner to come and fertilize the egg to give you a baby. Like that's your biology is set up so that every month you can become pregnant. So it's the um, estrogen is rising, it's thickening the lining of your womb to get ready for this lovely fertilized egg. And then you ovulate. So estrogen is there to make you go out, feel confident, find a mate. Now we don't need to do that every month anymore. We're not, you know, in the dark ages. Um, we can choose where we want to go out and find a mate, but that biological influence of estrogen is still there so you might have increased motivation to train you might have increased energy and it's really good to tap into that because those those days you know like you can you might be able to be a superpower do anything when you're thinking about when you're doing sport there might be days of your cycle where certain workouts feel easier or harder and part of that is that that these hormones influence your metabolism so in this half of the cycle it's much easier to use carbohydrates so for example, high intensity exercise might feel easier because that's the preferred fuel during the exercise. Later on in the cycle, 
it's easier for your body to use fat because of the influence of the hormones. So actually endurance exercise might feel easier. Now you don't have to just settle for that. You can use nutrition and recovery and preparation to make sure that you adequately prepare for workouts where carbohydrate isn't your main fuel or where fat isn't your main fuel. But it's just to say that if you tune into this, um, your ability to utilize carbohydrate as certain um, in this part of the cycle is improved and that might make workouts feel better, more energized uh, and higher intensity workouts feel good. We know that estrogen can really influence our ability to recover. It shortens the duration of DOMS, so muscle soreness, and it um, improves our growth hormone release. So growth hormone will be really important in building up your muscles after they've been damaged by the exercise. Um, so you might get better adaptation. And actually some of the research now is looking, oh, if I, if I put more strength training exercises in the first half of my cycle, do I get better returns than if I spread them evenly across the cycle? And the jury is still out on what the conclusions are, but certainly some of those papers and their well-conducted research show that if you bunch up your um, resistance training in the first half of your cycle and then spread it out a bit more in the second half, you might get better strength gains. So it's just something to think about. And that's something you can play around with yourself, right? Um, estrogen affects your joint laxity. And when I said we are at greater risk of injury as women, this might be a time when you might be at even greater risk. Um, and it's again, not to say don't go anywhere because if you you know fall over, you're going to break. It just means just be aware because those niggles that you get, your tight hamstring or um, I always get a, a, a flare up of, of the joint in my back, um, it can be cyclical. And so instead of looking for some really, you know, in-depth underlying cause, you know that at that time of your cycle, your niggles flare up, but after a few days they go down and, and that might give you some confidence in how you might treat that. Estrogen is really good for our immunity. It's why women are more immune generally than men. Um, so at this time also you might um, be more resistant to illness. You also, because estrogen is a kind of feel good hormone, it's a great time to have difficult conversations. <laughs> if you're planning it, if you're planning to have difficult conversation or a, a, um, ask for feedback, that time it might be where you're more emotionally robust to have those difficult conversations. And then if you move after ovulation to the second half of your cycle, this is where progesterone increases. Um, and progesterone is a pro-gestation hormone. So it, it's the hormone that is pro-pregnancy. So it's kind of getting you ready for pregnancy. And so whilst ovulation, whilst estrogen was getting you ready for ovulation, excited, out there, ready to mate, <laughs> progesterone is saying, okay, you've done it, take it easy, let's be calm. And um, progesterone has a really soothing effect on the central nervous system. So some people find they're calmer, they experience less anxiety. Some people find they sleep better. There's research to say that you can get to sleep quicker and you sleep better when your progesterone levels are higher. Um, because of its influence on the brain, it can actually affect your coordination and it can make you more risk averse, less risk taking. And so when I was working in sports, some athletes did notice that, like um, if they were in a sport where they had to take risks, you know, like hurtling down a hill on a mountain bike, they knew that there were times of the month where they might be less inclined to take to take risk and they had to work with their psychologist to kind of figure out how they would overcome that. Um, in terms of your metabolism, I've said you use fat as a fuel better. Your progesterone kind of slows everything down. So it slows your digestion. So you might feel bloated, you might be constipated. 
And estrogen and progesterone together at this time might mean you um, hold on to water, so you're bloated. Again, there are things in your, you can definitely do with your diet and your lifestyle that will help get rid of that. You don't have to just put up with that. And it might be harder to build muscle in this phase than it was in the last in the previous phase. Um, a, a note that to get progesterone in your cycle, you have to ovulate. And that might just seem like a useless fact. But um, if you don't ovulate, you don't. The, the thing that makes progesterone is the follicle that was holding your egg. And when your egg gets released, that follicle then turns into a progesterone producing machine. So you have to be releasing the egg. Um, and if you don't ovulate and therefore you don't uh, produce progesterone, you, symptoms of the cycle can be so much worse because progesterone is really good at combating excess estrogen. And a lot of the symptoms we have are because estrogen, whilst it's good in the first half of the cycle and then it comes up again in the second, if it is left unchecked and it can creep up and up and up because progesterone isn't there to keep a handle on it, a lot of the symptoms that we have, heavy menstrual bleeding, pain, uh, mood disorders, loads of different things can be because of estrogen ex excess. So making sure that you're healthy enough to ovulate and produce progesterone is really important. And I say that because one of the things that happens when you train too much and you don't eat right is that you suppress ovulation and therefore you don't have a healthy cycle. Um, and then we have this bit at the end of the cycle, as we all know, is the bit where the hormones drop. And the reason we feel a bit shit is because we've had some lovely hormones. We've had progesterone, high, calming. We've had some estrogen there. And then they both go. And estrogen is really good at producing, uh, helping us produce serotonin, a really good, um, good mood hormone. Progesterone has been very relaxing. And you take that away and your body feels a bit sad. So that's why we get we can feel moody, irritable. There are about 150 symptoms described for this part of the cycle. So whatever you experience is, is real and it doesn't have to be the same as someone else. Um, the symptoms you experience there are increased by stress and inflammation. So if you are highly stressed, um, if you're causing your body stress by way too much exercise, poor diet, um, work stress, life stress, then you might exacerbate symptoms. We know that headaches are really common at this time and fatigue. And again, you can use nutrition to help with your fatigue. And we know that at this part of the cycle is often where women see changes in their breasts. And if you don't have the right breast support, that breast soreness can stop you exercising. Um, and, um, or you could be using the wrong size bra because you've had changes in, in your breast size. So it's really important to take note of that as well. And underpinning all of this all of these hormones, which give you some amazing things. They give you motivation and good mood and calmness and all of those good things. Underpinning that is just some really fundamental pillars that you will have learned from the people you're working with in these programs, that good diet, the right amount and type of exercise, getting good sleep and recovery and managing stress all underpin those hormones. And a lot of people who have bad experiences of their cycle, if we rewind and say, are we doing all of these things right? It's as simple as that. There is no, you know, like, oh, I need some, you know, procedure or I need some medicine. It comes back to, have we promoted good hormone health? And if you promote good hormone health, you don't just promote good health of estrogen and progesterone. You promote good hormone health of all the, all the hormones that are making, you know, making your body adapt, that are are making your body get lean, are making you feel amazing. 
and I've got there, they underpin the capacity to grow. And I feel that's kind of relevant in every sense. So capacity to adapt to training and get fitter, faster, stronger, uh, a capacity to grow as a person. You cannot grow if you're suffering. Um, so in, in all senses, really, they those four pillars are really fundamental. And then if you're getting all of those things right and you're still not having you're still not having the experience of your cycle that you want. Um, there are other things that can help. So on this chart, you can see there are things that you can do in your lifestyle. Um, yoga has got research behind it to say it can um, alleviate premenstrual symptoms, um, pain and also other symptoms, bloating and some mood. Exercise, obviously, we know is great. Some people avoid exercise during their period, mm. actually exercising while you're on your period is really good the endorphins you release are good pain medication in themselves um i can answer some questions about any of the others on that um chart if you want just to say that diet is is really powerful in hormone health um so you can really use that to your advantage and i put a supplement column and i don't necessarily mean supplements as the as an industry but i mean what else you can supplement your diet and your lifestyle with that you might need extra of and some of those things are, are things like magnesium zinc omega-3s really un, really underpin good hormone health um curcumin or turmeric and then nsaids are ibuprofen and ibuprofen can um lighten heavy periods it can get rid of period pains it can be a really simple remedy um if you use it if you use it wisely I do have to mention contraception because we know that lots of women aren't aren't having a, a kind of natural menstrual cycle. They're on contraception and that has massive implications for you and your experience of your hormones as well. Um, one thing to say is that when you are on hormonal contraception, you are on steroid hormones. You're on an artificial version of the hormones. So um, if anyone has ever put you on the pill to regulate your cycle, they have been incorrect and those people are usually gps so for a long time we would have women who were exercising and they were either having bad experiences with their cycle or they were having irregular cycles they'll come and go be heavy be light and the doctor would say oh, we'll put you on the pill that'll regulate your cycle because the pill will give you a lovely 28 day cycle and then a short bleed and a 28 day cycle and a short bleed what the pill has done is actually because it gives you synthetic hormones it suppresses all of your natural hormones so you don't have any peaks and troughs of your natural estrogen or progesterone. So it doesn't regulate your cycle, it removes it and it puts it in an artificial cycle. And that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just we need, do need to be clear that that's the case. Um, so you will have a bleed, but it's not a period. And again, when we we're working with athletes, they say, oh, I must be getting my training and my energy balance and my stress right because I'm getting a period every 28 days. Say, so, oh, are you on the pill? Yes. Okay, that's not a period. That's not an indicator of health. That is a withdrawal from the pill that you're taking. Um, you're having a bleed and then you start taking the pill again and you start the cycle again. Just to note that when you use um, interuterine devices like the Marina coil, you actually do still have a cycle because they deliver um, progesterone just at the uterine level. So at your uterus, in your womb, um, and they don't go systemically. So they don't suppress your natural production of anything for me that's a great solution right so you get all the benefits of estrogen and progesterone but you also get contraception you can lighten periods you might not even have any periods you still ovulate 
So I put these points in because actually we dish out the pill far too much in this country around the world without giving women discussion about what pill would be best, what type of contraception would be best. Do track your symptoms if you go on or off the pill, because um, you can get symptoms when you go onto the pill. You can, you know, some pills are uh, anti-androgenic, so you can lose muscle mass, you can lose strength. Um, you can have symptoms that are similar to menstrual cycle symptoms, bloating, headaches, fatigue. You want to be on the type of contraception that works for you, not just the one that you got given. So if you track your symptoms, you can go to your GP with that with feedback. Um, and also be conscious of what you're not feeling. So I've spoken to a few athletes who, when they came off the pill, they realized that they weren't feeling the highs and lows of emotion that they used to. Now, that might be one of the reasons they went on it to kind of manage their emotions. But as, a, as an athlete, I would argue as anyone, you kind of need the highs and lows, like the lows and the highs are what kind of fulfills life. And they felt like they flatlined a bit emotionally. So again, it's just really important that you maybe take note of that, because if that's you, you could look for an alternative pill, an alternative contraceptive device, etc. So don't be afraid to have more in-depth conversations, like push your GP. Um, and anytime I say go to your GP, what I would always recommend is ask if in your surgery there's anyone who's especially interested in women's health. They'll be the people who have upped their knowledge on the current, you know, pill types or the current perspectives on endometriosis or PCOS or you know they'll be the people who are well informed and some of the other GPs it might not be of interest to them. I'm getting to the end now so it was just to say that out of everything you really need to be deliberate about understanding yourself it's all very well going oh that's really interesting Emma estrogen makes you feel this and could do this if we don't tune into what our body is doing then we will never be able to take action or just really understand it so I would say that monitoring your cycle, monitoring your pill cycle, um, even if you've had a hysterectomy and you've still got ovaries, you'll still be cycling hormones. You know, you mostly you can monitor something that will give you an indication about how your hormones are making you feel and whether you're happy with that. And you can go, oh, I'm really lucky. Like I, I get all the good bits. I don't really get any bad bits. I'm fine or whether there are things that you can tune into, where there are strategies, you might be able to get rid of some of the crap bits. You won't know that until you start recording it. And it really gets you in tune with, with what your body is doing, what your body is telling you. You might notice that in times of stress, your uh, cycle gets longer. That might mean you're not ovulating at those times. If you're someone who's trying to get pregnant, that might be you know, like just a really good indication. And if you're gonna then go to a nutritionist, a naturopath or a GP, you have all this information that they can then start figuring out stuff with you. If you're working with a personal trainer or a nutritionist to try and get better at fitness, you can use this information and say, actually, you know, when we did do quite a lot of strength work at that time of my cycle, well, blimey, it really worked or no, no, it didn't. You know, you, you, you can have, you have that information at your fingertips. So my final word is, I like, I like this, um, this is actually developed by Brené Brown and it's about, um, we have we have to be deliberate in our thoughts and behaviors so it, it's okay to kind of just accept that this stuff is happening to us but unless we're deliberate in recognizing it and tuning into it and unless we've been inspired to think about it differently or do something differently um then you know nothing will change for us but the last point which is really important is we've got to get to action i meet too many women who go oh, okay yeah I, you've told me about why this is happening I've monitored my cycle. Yeah, I know that is exactly what's happening to me. And that's where they stop. 
and they don't actually do anything about it because they're oh yeah they put themselves at the bottom of the priority list life is too busy and they just carry on either suffering or they just don't tune into the best version of, of their life so um that's my kind of final plea is that if you can just tune into yourself deliberately see what your experience of your cycle is like or your pill is like and then then do something like do something to kind of maybe improve your experience optimize your experience of that so that was um me we are just it was just a plug that we are running an online webinar series for the rest of the week um over on my website so if if this interests you and you either you don't get a chance to ask your question tonight and you'd like to tune in more we're covering the whole life cycle for the rest of the week um, over at Thrive Revolution. Okay, I'm going to take a sip while you read the ream of questions that you have. Yes, lots of questions. That was amazing. Thank you, Emma. Very interesting. That was awesome. Emma. That was really class. Glad I'm a guy, like, not going to lie. Not going to lie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think yourself's lucky. <laughs> No, you're not lucky. Yeah. Women are awesome, and yeah, you awesome. have these amazing superpowers. So, yeah, yeah poor you. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know one question I had that came into my head because I remember speaking to some coaching clients before, and I was like, "Do you know what I do before I work out? I like like watch like a motivational YouTube video. I'll watch like Rocky. I'll put a Rocky music on. I get pumped up, and then I asked the coaching clients to do it with something that motivated them, but it didn't work." So you said earlier that like men can get a higher testosterone drive from doing it. How can women like, what can women do then to boost something to improve their workout that's coming up? Like men can do with motivational music and videos. Yeah. So exactly, exactly that, that priming is, is to, to try and raise testosterone. It's not the only thing it does. And actually you might find that you've got women who can listen to a certain type of music and feel amazing. And that's about, that's about mood. That's about release of neurotransmitters related to their feelings associated with music. So I think what you have to do with women is accept that you're not going to get a big spike of testosterone. You, we mm. do have some testosterone and it does peak. And when I say peak, it's a teeny peak around ovulation, but some women do feel the effect of that either um, that they feel more motivated to train or they can put more into training. But as for artificially kind of stimulating it, we can't really do that as women. So it's about tuning into other things that get you going because priming is also about, you know, it's, it's just about warming up. So it's about improving, you know, blood flow to your muscles. It's about creating a mood that is, is motivating. And, you know, when I said about women's brains, it's about tuning into what's important to you. So... Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. When I run, I listened to I listen to music like that is I listen to country music. I listen to music that has stories. Yeah. My husband listens to house music and techno. Now <laughs> I will be as motivated from my music and the emotion that it stirs up in me because I'm listening to the words and the stories. I will be as motivated by that as he is by techno. So um it, it's yeah. perhaps not related to our hormones but it is certainly related to kind of our how our brains work and it's almost an acceptance that whether you're a woman or a man as an individual you'll be motivated by something different but it's a, if you can find it it's amazing because mm. um you can really tap into it therefore therefore well dino do you want worry what's your uh poor questions pop into your mind then yeah, no, there's, 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 there's loads that's popped in, into my head. Um, that, that was really fascinating, Emma. And I know that, like, I've just seen some of the comments that are, like, flying through, literally flying through. So um, somebody's saying, hey, can we have can we have Emma on all the time? So it's a, 
you're, you're making making a massive impact already. Um, I guess like a couple of things that popped into my head is, um, and a question that came in earlier was around, um, obviously you talked a lot about elite athletes, but a lot of the people on this programme um, have all got very different goals. So some of them are, you know, training for weight loss. Some of them are training very specifically to maintain a weight. Some are really focused on mindset, all sorts of different things. But from a training perspective, um, and a lot of the people on this program will be doing things like strength workouts each week. They'll be running like in terms of, um, you know, their typical training, what would you say that when it comes to like the menstrual cycle, how, how would you adapt your training around that? What would that look like? And I appreciate that's massively individual for each person, but any kind of general principles around that? Yeah. So um, first thing to say is that uh, one thing that really fascinates me is all the work that I did with the elite athletes, because we, we hadn't really done work in this area before, I was having the same conversations with schoolgirls as I was having with people who were just about to go, were just about to go to Tokyo in terms of their under this understanding of their cycle, for example, the nuances were different, but it, it's, it fascinates me that actually, because it's so fundamental, it kind of applies to everyone, um, regardless of like you say, what your goals are. So with the menstrual cycle, I think the, f the first step is to, like you say, it's so individual that you have to understand yourself. And that really takes kind of tracking for, for three months because one, especially at the moment, I don't, uh, you might have some questions about this, but women's cycles have been massively affected by lockdown and COVID. And, and that's because it's increased stress. It's changed our diet because we're all at home eating, you know, all the time or <laughs> eating crap takeaway food. Um, and um, stress has increased inflammation and, and all the things that make our cycle a bit shittier have happened. Um, and so um, it is very individual and it's important to monitor over time and not take, you know, not take this month, like, oh, this is what happens to me. So to, to monitor over about three months and really tune into what, what, what you're feeling. So when, and that's like really vague, but I think we all know when we work out, sometimes it just feels good and sometimes it doesn't. And yeah. just for, for, for making a really deliberate effort for three months to, to monitor that, but in relation to your cycle as well as other things, because it might be that you know, the kids have been playing up and driving you mad. You know, we know that cognitive fatigue affects physical fatigue. So it might be you just had a couple of really hard days at work, but like put that all together, but put it in your site with your cycle as well. Because actually what you might feel is your energy levels are different across your cycle. Um, it might be that you feel heavy or bloated. You know, the time to judge whether your weight loss or your leanness, you know, is reflecting your hard work might not be on those four days of your cycle when you're retaining water, you're constipated and you don't look look as good as you want. You know, like don't, don't judge yourself on those days. So it's building up a picture of what is you and then... I really think that addressing things like nutrition across your cycle could be really powerful because, you know, there are certainly some foods which give us more energy uh, and, and give us energy, you know, like not sugary foods, not, not quick release, like these, um, the complex carbs, the brown rice, there's, there's um, anti-inflammatory foods that if you're someone who suffers a lot with symptoms, for example, towards the end of your cycle, like upping anti-inflammatory foods at that time, um, so lots of things you can do with your diet once you've tuned into what your cycle feels and looks like. And equally, whilst we couldn't often do this with elite athletes because their training was set in stone by, by a powerful coach who we wouldn't argue with, um, 
when you're a bit more flexible than that, if you do have days where one of your cycle symptoms is heavy legs or is bloating, then I always say like, don't put your high intensity interval session or, you know, whatever, you know, your Joe Wicks workout, gosh, that's, that's swearing, isn't it? Sorry, your Louise, your Louise high intensity workout. Um, on those days, like if you can move it by a couple of days and get more out of it, then your body will adapt better to that greater stimulus than it would if you, you crawled through it, felt shit, didn't recover as well and didn't even do as much work in that session. So once you know what your cycle is like, it's about A, tuning into your energy. I think it's creating, I always think it's about um, like getting some, um habit cues so if there's some things that really set you off, off track in terms of symptoms or how you're feeling like what is the cue for that and then what do you do when you get that cue if it's like period pain that can be really debilitating if it starts off as just a gentle ache most women for most of the life will just wait until it gets super bad and then pop an ibuprofen what we should do is even before the pain starts, if it's very predictable, if you start taking ibuprofen before it starts and then consistently across the time when you experience pain, it's a massively better way to get rid of pain because once you've got the pain, taking it's not the ibuprofen is not going to help. So those cues, yeah. like if you feel low energy, what is that a cue for? Is it a cue for eating something, doing something? And then you build up these habit cues around your own experience of the cycle. If you have days where you feel great, what is that a cue for? The cue is to go and like smash out a session because this is the day where it's going to count and your adaptation will be better. And so hopefully that yeah. makes sense. It's like record your own experience of the cycle, try and tune into what, what it's feeling like for you and then build up some strategies that really like lift your experience of the cycle and tune into those things. Yeah. So um, Emma, do you have like, would you have people have like a spreadsheet where you'd be like, right, so you're tracking your mood out of 10, you're tracking your weight, your workout effectiveness, or how you feel. Like, what are we actually? What are you actually getting people to do, and what are the tools or apps are they using? So it's a great question because the way you can where you track it can, can be in any way, and I think it has to be valuable for you. So I don't know about anyone else, but I've put a lot of information into a lot of trackers, not necessarily to my cycle that I've never looked at again. Yeah, and it was fun. It was fun at the time. And then I never actually reflected on it. Um, that's useless, right? Because the most important thing about this is collecting the information and just kind of really interrogating it um, in a slightly less aggressive than that sounds, but really <laughs> interrogating the data. So if an app works for you, that's brilliant because they've got kind of AI built in. So it will, you know, it will say, oh, your luteal phase is this long because you put in this symptom, which indicated you might have ovulated and It'll start doing some working out for you, the app. Yeah. So that's great if that's what you value. Um, equally, you might value a diary. That might be something you carry around with and you write it down. You might be someone who, who likes to record how they feel in sentences and words rather than, you know, like emojis and numbers. Um, it could be, a, you could be someone who goes, if this is going to take me any longer than 15 seconds a day, I'm not going to do it. So how do you create something that's doable in 15 seconds? Well, on your calendar, maybe you just write one word at the end of every day that kind of sums up how you felt. And even that, I guarantee, will enlighten you at the end of three months if you look at the cycle. Yeah. So it's about tuning into, I, I've had people who've got spreadsheets, definitely, and they rate, you know, like mood, uh, symptoms. I've had people really successfully use apps, equally diaries and calendars. The only thing I'll say about apps is that they tend to, some of them, 
they've got this they've got artificial intelligence which is great but that doesn't take into account that you are super unique and actually that um one cycle might be slightly different from another and as a human you can feel that and you know it's one day longer because oh yeah because my dog was ill and I was stressed or your app isn't really it's quite generic so the blueprint that it superimposes on you might not be specific enough to you so I always say kind of use the app but also do remember to kind of put your the context of your life in that somehow yeah Emma, you've um, you've mentioned. Um, I'm sure Scott's going to get onto loads of questions um, from the community, but you, you've you've mentioned the word which I use all the time, which is around noticing what's going on. So very much kind of use some kind of acceptance, commitment type therapy around like notice how you're feeling, accept like you know this is the nature of how the emotional brain thinks, and then we're talking about like you know working with values. So um, you, you mentioned there around noticing. So uh, how and then so I guess like if I hear correctly, what you're saying is a lot of people will jump to, okay, so I notice how I'm feeling and it must be my hormones. Okay. So there's, there's some belief system around that. Right. So how, how would you kind of separate out what's going on physiologically from what actually is happening from a more cognitive perspective, I guess. So in terms of our thoughts, like what, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. And I don't know if I have an answer but what I do have probably a conversation, which is, um, I think we, the jump between accepting, you know, like, oh, I feel, I feel fragile. I've, I, I am overreacting at the moment. I feel overwhelmed. Oh, it's, um, it's my premenstrual. And, and, and accepting that is not, is not good enough. I'm, I'm probably just repeating what you said, but it's about, okay, so I might, this part of my cycle might, for me as an individual, amplify my emotions. I might know that, that to be true. There might be some people who say, that is not me. That's like fine as well. But this, this part of my cycle, I know my, my emotions are amplified. But that doesn't mean that the emotions are the hormones. The emotions are still the feelings. So what, so I, I still need to, I still need to get to those. And I still need to address whatever is you know, whether it's relationships, whether it's life, work, whatever, I still need to address those. And there's, and the cycle is interesting, because actually the hormones can amplify other sort of more physiological conditions. So it amplifies, can amplify IBS, it can amplify asthma. And if you see cyclical reactions in those things that are more physical, not mental, um, you can start to go, oh, it's hormonal. So that's okay. But actually, you still need to treat the underlying condition. So we call it a uh, like a menstrual amplification. So the premenstrual phase might amplify different conditions, whether they're emotional or physical. You cannot fix them with a pill or an ibuprofen or a drink. It's like they're still there when the hormones go into a different phase. So I think it's just really important to kind of, to know that you are more emotional at a certain phase of your cycle is really super, I think it's empowering because it gives you some control back about what this is. You're not mad or you know you can take responsibility for it can't you yeah but it still cannot be a sticking the menstrual cycle can't be a sticking plaster for stuff that lies underneath that needs to be addressed whether that's physical conditions or more psychological yeah it's interesting because i know a lot of women will say like you know i'm fit my cycles are making me feel a bit shitty i'm not gonna i can't train i can't do it so what you're saying is most cases than not they should actually push through 
and still do uh, the exercise they've committed to? Like, what, what, where does it come? A lot of people are saying, I've seen a few questions, like, I get so much pain that I just want to, like, stay in bed with a hot water bottle. Um, what have you said to, say, an athlete or someone has come to you and said, listen, I know you want me to commit to the last week of my cycle, but I just, it's so painful. What can I do to kill, still move forward? Like, what have you tell them to do? Like, read things, or is it, like, what's the... Yeah, so, first of all, I'd never think anyone should push through. So I think, especially yeah. because, you know, we aren't elite athletes and we have the flexibility to do a, a session on a different day, or, you know, even if it means letting down a friend who was going to do that run with you or whatever, you have mm -hmm. the choice. And so you can change that and, and I would never I would never say to anyone push through because the quality of your session will be rubbish it will be terrible yeah. then you will lose confidence because you'll be like oh, I'm so rubbish and it, the spiral the cascade after that is is you know like it's not worth it so yeah. the first thing is be really flexible so keep in mind that you had scheduled to do you know whatever it was a 5k hard it's not going to be today so it's not that we don't do 5k hard it's that maybe in four days time when all this crap has ended, we, we're flipping yeah. stuff around. So we, we're flexible and adaptable. But also, yeah. my biggest message to those women is do not settle for that pain. So that pain, you ha we have to, and I say it's not, it's not the responsibility of the women, the women, it's the responsibility of the healthcare practitioners around her or, what, or, or whatever, who she goes to see. But that pain is not normal. So a normal cycle has mild symptoms that, yeah, you know, like you get a headache if you're a bit stressed or tired. It's kind of irritating, but you know why it's happening. You get a tummy ache because you're a bit hungry, but you know why it's like mild symptoms are like that. They're a bit irritating. You can either get rid of them with a painkiller or a little jog or whatever. And, and that's what your, your cycle should be. When you're having very severe symptoms and you're going to your doctor and he's saying that's normal, that is not normal. So there's either something underlying it that you need to push to be able to get some support for a diagnosis. Um, and I, I don't mean something completely serious. I just mean something that you can get, you know, more medical help with, or there's something, there's something you're doing that's not, that's just not supporting a healthy cycle. And you could work with a nutritionist or a naturopath or a women's health specialist to figure that out. Because one of the reasons we have debilitating pain for example, is because we didn't ovulate, so we then we didn't uh, create progesterone that didn't allow our hormones to be balanced out, or it could be because we've got high le levels of stress, which is causing inflammation, and we know that inflammation is exacerbating our symptoms. It could be that caffeine and sugar exacerbate our pain, and we haven't quite cottoned on to what those triggers are. But the point is that you shouldn't have that pain. So um, back to your original thing is don't push through, be really flexible mm -hmm. because you'll get the most out of your fitness regime and your health regime if you're flexible. Yeah. But also don't settle. We, as women, we, not, we have been taught to normalize this crap for too long. Oh yeah. yeah, you know, your grandma had terrible period pains and your mother had very heavy periods. That's your lot for life. And I will not <laughs> take that. <laughs> we, we have moved on from that. And yeah. there are things we can do through diet, through lifestyle, through exercise. And it's not always going to be easy and it might take a while, but we, we should be as women, we, sh we don't take enough, you know, concern for our own health. Sometimes we should be working towards, if you had a really, really bad shoulder injury or knee injury that was stopping you doing that fitness, 
you'd be going back to the physio and saying, no, you know what, that exercise didn't work, that treatment didn't work. You'd be going to someone else, kinesiologist, you'd be going to a chiropractor. You'd be like, why can I not fix this knee so I can do the running that I love or the workouts that I love? With uh, menstrual cycle symptoms, we're like, oh yeah, never mind. <laughs> like there's so much disparity between the like sort of physical injury and, and this. So yeah, that's my rant, sorry. Cattle <laughs> no. women. Yeah, and is does it any of this apply as well to the PCOS people? So like, obviously we got we got Christina. You're saying that she has a cycle length in between four to eight weeks. So what's the approach to something like that then? So PCOS is is complex in that it doesn't have one set of symptoms and it doesn't even have one cause. And you can have what we call transient PCOS that will kind of go of its own accord. You can have more, you know, you can have insulin resistant PCOS. So without knowing her exact circumstances, it's hard to say, but there are there are certainly things you can do through diet particularly through diet and some maybe some supplementation and I'm talking about more natural supplements that might really help um, create great hormone health and it might be those hormones that we talked about estrogen and progesterone it might be other hormones around the system that's contributing um, there are some more significant solutions that the GP would would help with but actually I think in all of these things, we're too quick to jump to either a medication or even in some cases with women, a surgery when we haven't tried some of the other more natural approaches. So it's a vague answer yeah. because it's hard to give yeah. specifics. Um, but certainly if you and she, and she might be someone who's explored everything, but certainly there's a good book called um, it's very well is period repair manual by Lara Bryden. And if you're someone who's having quite extreme symptoms or has something like endometriosis or PCOS, this is a book that um, gives you some solutions that are, are natural, that are diet related. Um, and it gives you the evidence if you're someone like me who, want, who, who wants to know there's at least some evidence behind these suggestions. Um, so that's a good one. And the other one I'd recommend for those of you who, don't, who haven't heard of it is, um, Period Power by Maisie Hill. This is a really holistic approach. So some of this stuff in here does not have evidence for it. The evidence comes from women saying it works who have worked with natural practitioners. But Maisie is um, amazing and, and has explored this, the menstrual cycle and how to sort of improve your experience of it in great detail. So if you are someone who's not, who's really entirely unhappy with their experience of the cycle, even if it's a couple mm. of days of it, those books, actually really good and um mazes is on audio as well so i i when i first listened to that i did it while i was running yeah well you were saying earlier the research into women's like very there's there's not much out there now so uh, in terms of the stage of research on women right now are we still at the really early stages would you say like are we all oh, as they moved along a bit like where are we um we are re we're really early so um Perfect. We're really early because the studies that have been done are in really small numbers. Um, so it's really hard to, you know, if someone says, oh, this particular thing doesn't work for premenstrual symptoms or this particular thing can really help ovulation or they're in, you know, they're groups of 20 women. And then there'll be another paper that comes out and says, oh, I don't think we have, unlike, you know, other sort of medical research, for example, which has 
double blind randomized control trials of tens of thousands of people that gives you real confidence that this works and this doesn't we don't have that and also because doing research on women is expensive and complicated so it's really slow progress so you have to control for the cycle so you have to do blood tests for example to know what a woman's hormones are doing so you can say this was when her estrogen was high or when her progesterone was high i can now make that connection so you've now complicated your research because you have to take blood and analyze it and test everyone at a certain time. So it's expensive. So people still, people still, you if you open up any research, you know, journal, which don't, I don't recommend because they're boring, but um, you'll see that most of them are done on males or not exclusively on females. Mm. So we've still got a way to go, but there definitely is a movement, certainly from our perspective in sports and physical activity, there's some really good people in this space kind of um, trying to push way forward. But the, what, the last thing I'll say on that is because there's not a lot of research, but now there is an emerging like desire from women to really understand their bodies, tune into this cycle or to learn more about, you know, hormonal contraception. There's a need, there's a desire, and there's not a lot of understanding in terms of the research. There's a big gap, right? And yeah. we all know that people fill that gap with crap that preys yeah. on people's need for information and knowledge, but it isn't based on good science and research. So I would just say, just be really, just really kind of aware. Like it's the same with any kind of supplement and health and fitness, you know, uh, fad. It's just kind of be aware. If it's a very low risk, you know, like there's, there's something called seed cycling, which is where you eat different types of seeds at different parts of your cycle, which is meant to promote the hormones as they fluctuate across the cycle it makes complete sense from a kind of theory of nutrition it has absolutely no evidence but there's absolutely no risk because seeds yeah. are really good for you <laughs> they're really good yeah. for your health so if you want to cycle them to see if it helps your cycle then go for it but mm -hmm. there are other things that people you know will will try and fob you off with that you just need to be yeah aware. there might not be enough evidence behind it and when, in regards to that then, like, is there like any low-hanging fruit things that people can do now that can, you know, result in quite a, not drastic change, but like immediate action? So you're saying about, um, you know, those books, obviously, you're saying about like tracking the period, tracking your cycle, um, not training on days, you know, on the last week where you can hold it off for four or five days so you can actually train at your best ability. Like what other thing, what would you say to someone if they asked you for like five things they could take away? Sorry. Um, so, I, so I think you've said a few of them already. So tracking, definitely. Um, being flexible, tuning in, all of those things. Talking, talk to your friends. We are really bad at talking about periods and menstrual cycles, symptoms and everything, because it's not, you know, it's not, we moan a bit we'll go oh you know I'm premenstrual that's why I'm crying because you told me that bad news or whatever we don't really get into it and whilst in our reproductive years that can be like not very you know fine when we're going through sort of changes of our cycle like for fertility uh, postnatally our cycle can change massively through our 40s as you know we can spend 10 years in what we call perimenopause which is where the cycle goes haywire. Now we're not at the menopause. We're in a state where our we're kind of our reproductive system is slowing down and our hormones are trying to make up for it. So they go crazy and then they drop off. And, and actually for a long time, women didn't talk about that. So no one knew, like I had a massive change in my cycle after I had my first child. 
And A, I didn't know that happened. I thought, you know, your cycle is your cycle. Um, and B, I didn't, um, at the time, I didn't, I had these terrible symptoms. I had 20, well, probably about 12 hours of like diarrhea, nausea, and overwhelming fatigue, which really interfered with my life. Like if I was at work and that hit, like I didn't really know what to do. And I didn't know that those were cycle symptoms. I didn't know that the chemicals that get released just as you're going to have your period, like in the days ahead of your period and during your period, that are really good at helping you have a healthy period. If they leak into other places nearby, like your gut, they can cause havoc and can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. I didn't know any of that because no one had ever told me that they, they got those symptoms of their cycle. And so um, in that instance, I kept going back to the doctor and they were like, oh, maybe you've got the flu. Maybe you've got a recurring virus. And then when I couldn't find anything wrong, they sent me to the tropical medicine doctor because they thought I had some kind of tropical disease. And it took me to see another GP who was in, in this case female. And she went, I think, I think that's a cycle symptom. And I was like, oh, I, again, it was like you know, nearly 10 years ago. I wasn't tracking my cycle then. I checked my cycle it was and there was a really simple intervention to stop that whole horrible situation happening but it took me six months to find out and and part of that was no one had been talking about this stuff so long-winded winded way of saying talk to each other um and don't judge by the way because all women have had an experience of their cycle so when another woman says oh yeah I get you know like I get debilitating pain so I can't I have to curl up on the floor the woman who has pretty bad pain but can get get through it sometimes has a tendency to go really really because I can I can I can function you're you know you're, you're I'm, I'm labeling you as a little bit weak but actually our experiences are so different people can be people can pass out from the pain period pain so you know be empathetic um, when you're talking with people be flexible and um I think really address those before you um you know either get worried or you reach out for a solution, do make sure that the, the fundamental pillars of your health are in good shape, because I don't think women really sometimes tune into how they can affect um, your cycle experience. So if you're someone who's really sensitive, you know, to set, let's say an inflammatory food like um, dairy, um, that can really exacerbate symptoms and simply cutting out dairy and replacing it with things like, you know, goats, um, milk or rice milk, whatever, that can really change your experience of your cycle, one simple thing. Um, or just eating more good foods, um, anti-inflammatory foods, um, you know, eating things that have high in omega-3s, those are building blocks for hormones, you know, like just doing a checklist of hormone health in your diet and lifestyle you know, do you smoke? Do you have, do you drink lots of alcohol? Alcohol is, is pretty bad in terms of hormone balance. If you're someone who gets really bad symptoms, you know, as, as hard as it is for me to say, maybe cutting down at certain times of the month when those symptoms are right. So it's like really making a checklist of before I go and say, can I have the pill to just like obliterate all of this? Or before I say, you know, I need antidepressants because my mood is being so heavily affected by my cycle. Can I be really sure I've done a checklist of all the important things which underpin my hormone health, my ovulation? And then if I have, and I can demonstrate that, then someone, yeah, someone needs to help you find a different solution. You're on mute, Scott. I was saying, very, very interesting. Um, 
Um, I've got two more questions from the gang here that's come up quite frequently, Emma. And I don't know if Dean wants to ask you a few more. Don't keep you here all night, but I'm sure he probably could give you all night for the questions. Um, there's one here about endometriosis. Uh, endometriosis. Endo yes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> these words are so long. Um, yeah. So basically, what do you know about that? And like, is it the same kind of information as you give for PCOS? So again, endometriosis is can be different in different people, but we do know that endometriosis is where cells that are really similar to the endometrial lining, so that's the lining of the uterus, that's the bit that gets shed, that is your period, cells that are similar to that grow outside of the endometrium, so outside of your uterus, and it can be in nearby places, quite commonly in nearby places like bowel um, and bladder, but can be anywhere, and um, they can cause inflammation and, and, and really severe pain um, throughout your and cycle, and particularly at the times of your cycle when your, your uterine lining is being getting ready to be shed, those cells can't be shed, they're not in the uterus, but so they become inflamed and really painful. And so um, some, the diagnosis for endometriosis is something like seven years. It's terrible. The, the mm. amount of time that women spend in severe pain because you know one of the symptoms, it doesn't, isn't always a symptom, but one of the main common symptoms is, is extreme pain that can be um, mistaken, I guess you could say for extreme period pain or for gastrointestinal pain, for example. Um, and because the diagnosis is really hard to make, you can't, you have to have lapro laparoscopy for endometriosis diagnosis. So you have to have keyhole to go and look whether those cells are there. You can't have an ultrasound scan that doesn't tell you. And you can't have, you know, unfortunately at the moment, a blood test or anything. So because it's so, you know, you have to have quite an invasive test to test for it. And because a lot of women get fobbed off for their pain or they don't present their pain, the diagnosis is very long. Mm. So I would I would suggest if someone um, is in extreme pain and and they would they they push they you know like record your symptoms you know use all the information you can to take to your healthcare provider and then and then try and find a way perhaps to get them to to perhaps pursue a diagnosis if they can yeah yeah and then what so is it kind of like can, can they do anything about it is it like so they got it they're in extreme pain do many people then be, get like yeah, so they, so, the they can, so so if they're diagnosed they can take sometimes take those sort of lesions and cells out which which help okay. um because it's an inflammatory thing you can kind of use your diet to try and be at more anti-inflammatory um all of those things that promote good hormone health will, will help in endo mm -hmm. but ultimately it won't take away the pain unless you get a diagnosis and then there is then there is a clinical pathway for you there is decisions that your doctor can make but until you get the diagnosis, you don't know whether you're dealing with just extreme period pain, which can be treated mm -hmm. in a number of ways, or you've got endometriosis, which needs you, yeah. your support from your doctor. And then in terms of affecting training, is it just the, the kind of like, obviously in pain, it make the training harder to do, or you just feel not for it? Is that kind of the only thing training wise, or that kind of actually impact, you mentioned earlier that these things don't actually impact performance. The... Um, you can still like obviously perform it's just you feel different so yeah it's the same yeah thing. and there's there's literally well there'll be, there'll be zero research into whether they will affect your performance but but a hundred percent they'll affect your ability to to do your performance so it doesn't matter if your physiology on a given day 
means that you could run a you know three hour marathon if you've got endo pain on that day ain't no way you're even probably walking up to the start line so it doesn't matter mm. what your capacity is your capability on that day is is low and and um and that's what i kind of get frustrated with when, when women um aren't getting good diagnosis or aren't getting good support to manage symptoms it's that across time you can be flexible you can change you know your training but there are some days you can't move you know like if it's your marathon or if it's your crossfit final if it's your wedding day or you can't move them and you know i feel like women should should be given the information and the tools to be able to say i don't need to worry that that day is going to be terrible because of pain or emotion or whatever it is that's related to my yeah. cycle it might be it might be to do with something else but so yeah it would be super interesting to see and probably there's no data on it all the olympic winners female and it what part of the cycle they were on on the first place it would be insane i reckon there would be maybe a trend or maybe not there might be yeah there might be um 50 of the athletes would be on the pill for a start so okay. um that's yeah, half yeah, of them out um because that's the data we have but but interestingly um we we don't have data like that but we do have data that women have been fucking amazing on any part of their cycle so for example paula radcliffe broke the world record marathon time when she was um just coming on her period so she was having period cramps um there was a woman who won the boston marathon and had started her period during the marathon so by the time she finished that was evident so you know <laughs> when people say i can't perform well when i'm on my period you know like i'm bleeding that that's not entirely true now again your experience on your first day of your period might be that you feel absolutely awful so you let's like let's do something about that so you don't feel awful but it's not going to be for everyone that they could break a world record but it's just to say that physiologically speaking you you can do anything across your whole cycle yeah. because you've got the strategies so what you do on you know day one of your period as a strategy whether it's pain you know whether it's using heat to mod modify pain before you know maybe maybe paula radcliffe had a hot water bottle on her tummy the whole time she was sat in the cool room and mm. because that was her strategy maybe she took some pain medication um your strategy will be so different maybe she ate something different the night before than she would have done if she was at a different part of a cycle i'm assuming she wasn't tuned into that at all because it was like <laughs> a decade ago but um my you know like the point is that on any given day you will need different strategies to achieve the same same outcome of being awesome. Yeah. No, it makes complete sense. What what's amazing, Emma, is like you're I'm just picking up on some of the comments, is you're almost um just your insights is like gifting people to just completely like recalibrate uh, the story that it feels like and sounds like a lot of women have lived in, which is this whole kind of narrative around like hormones and the and this, yeah, like you know, naturally and understandably, the kind of point around, well, it's it's debilitating. It's going to stop me. I can't do anything. And actually, you've, you're almost giving people the responsibility to manage that by implementing certain techniques, which is, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of like certainly reading some of the comments, like penny dropping moments, where it's like, oh my god, like this is like awesome. Well, oh, that's so nice to hear because that's entirely what we have to do. We have to reclaim this space, and we've been told for way too long that you know. When, you know, when you start your cycle, in other cultures, it's celebrated and you like, you know, you're gonna, it's so exciting. It's a sign that your body is, it, the vitality in your body, blah, blah. We kind of get told, oh yeah, that's your lot for the next 40 years and everyone's really miserable about it. And it's so sad because there are so many good things that your cycle gives you. 
and we don't have to put up with the shit stuff. Um, and and it and I it, it, it takes children to remind you sometimes. So my daughter, my my brother and his wife have just had a baby, and my three-year-old daughter said, "Oh, who had the baby? Was it Auntie Georgie or was it Uncle Fraser?" And I said oh no darling the men can't have the babies the only the women can have the babies and she was like wow that's amazing is that like a is that like a superpower and I was like yeah yeah it is <laughs> and on that as well like so you talk about reclaiming like a question that's come up a couple of times has been uh, a question along the lines of like how can post baby hormones have an impact on weight loss it's come up quite a few times so what's your take on that yeah, it, um, it's really, uh, there's lots going on post baby. Um, and so it's it's hard to, to kind of nail it down. But um, the, the, the reproductive hormones and metabolism are so connected. So because our cycle doesn't come back, it might not come back for three months, but if you're breastfeeding, it might not come back for six months a year. And therefore, um, it really might influence our metabolism and if you think about we have the way women deposit fat um is a is different from men right it's around our hips and um you know in our breasts and and we're different shapes and men deposit around their belly and they're more round um when we don't have for example those hormones um our, our female hormones doing what they they're usually doing sometimes we can deposit fat in different places so certainly in perimenopause and menopause when we've got declining levels of estrogen and progesterone we start to deposit fat a bit more like men um, but that's just that might not be happening postnatal but it's an indication of how influential you know our hormones are in how we metabolize food and fats and carbohydrates and also what we you know what we do with them where we put them so um Everyone will be slightly different, but but our cycle does take a little while to kickstart after having babies. And, it, and uh, when you're breastfeeding, um, the hormones that you create to be allow you to breastfeed stop your cycle happening. Quick health advice doesn't mean say you can't get pregnant because in the background your cycle might be trying to restart and you might be starting to ovulate. So um, beware of that. You can get pregnant if you're breastfeeding. Um, so yeah, so there's there's no surefire answer but also in that you have to realize in that time well I can't even describe it <laughs> um I was going to say you're stressed your body is stressed right your body um for some women it's, it's traumatized so some women have post-traumatic stress after birth um it's certainly a stressful time in that you're in your constant state of anxiety um and then so when you're highly stressed again um you you metabolize things differently um, your hormones again are affected and not just the hormones of your cycle but all your hormones um, there's so much going on in that time and I would just say rather than kind of uh, be kind to yourself in that time um, and um, know that the long game is that everything will settle down uh, so long as you can also get on top of your sort of stress management and your you know come coming to terms with be your new your new life because again that's huge. And it could be that that's affecting your ability to manage your weight and not your ovarian hormones. So loads of stuff happening in that time. Be kind. And also, just while I'm talking to a group of women, uh, uh, your pelvic health is so, so important for your return to fitness. And um, if there's one thing I would go back and gift myself and any other woman I knew who had a baby would be to see a woman's health physio after they'd had their baby 
um, you might think, oh, I don't need a physio, like everything went fine. When you've had a baby, your pelvic health is compromised because <laughs> that's the whole, you know, you've got to get the baby out. Even actually if you had a C-section, you've carried the baby and it's put pressure on your pelvic floor. Going and seeing a pelvic health physio to get a checkup and to, to, to take a pelvic floor first approach to returning to fitness and life after your baby is, is a really, really important, important strategy. Uh, it will say it will save you time in the long run, actually, and it will save you anguish because you know it might actually save you, you know, stress incontinence, uncontrollable, you know, stress or fecal incontinence, prolapse, whatever, after you've had a baby. So pelvic health really, really important, and you can even start having discussions with pelvic health, women's health physios during your pregnancy about what you can do, and it's not just about doing your pelvic floor squeezes. I mean, that's part of it. So that was just a quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no. And yeah, people have asked that in terms of like, they see what the follow on for that was they see a lot of people bounce back after pregnancy and have amazing bodies quite fast. Um, I think Lyle and another Kevin spoke about like they try to like kind of get that state permanently with women somehow through like, I don't know, like, you know, um, hormones or whatever. But like, is there a stage in that part of like after giving childbirth where? people do maybe find it easier to lose weight and stuff or is it, is it just very individual? I think it will be so individual because it will just depend on like birth is unique anyway for everybody so your the birth you've had will affect your experience post-birth and and everyone has very different experiences of birth so superimpose that complication onto the fact that all of our hormones will get back into sync at different rates just like you know we all went through puberty slightly differently like our cycles yeah. established slightly differently so it's really really individual and again go back to your checklist of am I supporting hormone health right now because again when you've got a new baby I can guarantee you're not <laughs> you're not eating properly you're not sleeping properly you are overstressed and you're probably not moving even if it's moving in a way that's really healthy post-pregnancy so maybe some pelvic stuff maybe some pilates etc if you're not doing all of that you can't ask the question ah like why am i not looking like you know slim jim over there um but equally do not compare yourself to other women it will only yeah. get you down and uh, i have yeah. a best friend i went to see her six months after i had my baby i was still in my maternity jeans you know like everything was going back into place very very slowly she was on day two and she was back in her skinny jeans, like done up. I was like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, that is the, the beauty stroke tragedy of humans. That we're all very different. <laughs> yeah. Do you know um, what was interesting? I was reading up on like, like, because the Black Lives Matter movement, I was reading up a history of race and all that. I came across this study this that showed or like this piece of information that said in the 60s when the pill first came out they were testing it on puerto rican women and they were giving them 20 times the dose that the western women now use and it's like god that's such like an intense way to go about it but it's but that, that was only 50 or 60 years ago so i'm, I'm actually quite glad now to hear you're saying that now you're recognizing there's very minimal research on things i guess for women but i find i feel that there's now a movement on in terms of that so can you would you say over the next five years we might be seeing a lot more like development in this place like and you know where can we actually keep up to date yeah. with that stuff 
Scott, it's hard to say. The pill thing is, I mean, that is an awful story and, and just kind of highlights uh, health inequality across gender and race. Yeah. Which, um, but Definitely. actually, the pill's a really good example of where we have made, I mean, really, really little progress in 60 years. We kind of developed something 60 years ago. You know, we did test it out. It was way, it was way too strong. We did a bit of, mm. we did a bit of, you know, playing around at the beginning. And then we pretty much, we're like, yeah, we've got it. And even though, you know, pharmaceutical companies will tell you we've refined it and now you can get, you know, you definitely, there's a lot, there is so many different types of pills that deliver different levels of hormones in different patterns. But ultimately it's the same, it's the same type of thing. And only recently, like the Marina coil is a really recent development, um, mm. giving women, so the copper coil, which was, which was the prior intrauterine device, you couldn't use if you were, you know, you couldn't really use before you had kids. It, it, it was really painful to insert before you had kids. Um, um, and it had other side effects that might not have been, but the, now the Marina coil is actually an evolution that's amazing. Like it's amazing. It's kind of, it's a whole new way of thinking about uh, hormonal contraception that doesn't uh, completely diminish your cycle. So that that's great. That's, but it's taken 60 years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well. so, and, and, the, and uh, you know, I, I looked in sport and I think in, in the bubble of sport, we might be, we might be able to move on. And I think there are people who will start to communicate that um, more widely to, to, to a popular audience. But, you know, I think in terms of women's health, there's still a massive amount of inequality, you know, our, our, even just how we look after women after having babies. There was recently a um, kind of a plea in Parliament to sort that shit out, um, as well as educating girls enough in puberty on this, you know, like across the lifespan. We didn't even talk about or recognise perimenopause probably up until the last five years to actually give it a name and, and tell women they're not going completely mad. So that is a long way of saying we've got a long way to go, because if we're only just talking about it, you know, the research is going to take a while to catch up. But talking yeah. about it is, is the best first step, because actually, if you haven't the best next thing, if you haven't got some really good research evidence is share is sharing. You know, because yeah. actually, if I said if I said to you this worked for me, OK, you're, you're taking it that it might not work for you. But you you also know that it's worth a try. Yeah. <laughs> Women sharing strategies is really powerful. So um, I think that's where the strength might be in the future is, is kind of creating places where women can find this information and, and, and share amongst themselves. What would, yeah. you, what would you say, Emma? Um, so so here, here's a question, right? Um, so you talk about like change and inequality and like you sort of giving back for people to take responsibility. So if you were to look at it from like a systems perspective, so let's look at all the different interrelated um, parts for change, you you come across this big thing called men, right? So when we're talking about, um, you know, obviously, I, like we've spoken, I've worked with athletes across the system. So I, so I feel like I'm relatively well read in this, but a lot of men won't be. Um, so I guess like the, my question is probably more for the women that are watching this. And obviously, they'll have men in their life. Like, where, where, where do you start with kind of like the whole education piece? And like, what can what can women do? Um, where, where, where do we go with that? Because it's um, it's complex, right? It's really complex. And when you say the big thing is men, you know, some would say the big thing is the patriarchy. It's like a system of men. Um, mm. And where, do we, well. where <laughs> like, I'm stuck because where do we where do we start? God, if I had the answer, maybe I'd 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 be able 
to be able to do something. Maybe it's all questions as well. It's like yeah. But we start, we do, first of all, we start, we start young, like, we, okay, so there are some things we can't change now, but we can change future generations. And I think um, whether it's having conversations with, with including boys in conversations about this, um, when they're learning, like, why do boys, why do boys and girls get separated to have the period and the like wet dream, I don't know what it is, talk, you know, like, <laughs> why, we're all gonna eventually gonna come around and live together, probably. Yeah. Um, and so why do we not learn about this stuff together? So I think that's massively important, educating young boys about how to be, about what's happening, but also how to be respectful and sensitive to some of that stuff. But also I do agree, you know, like the, the men, I it's really hard, this space is really hard because if you get it wrong, you blame men and we're not blaming men, right? Men, this has not been a conspiracy. Women, it's just, it's just how it's happened, right? So we are where we are. And most men I meet right now are so well intended. When you when you really get to talking about it, they're like, "Oh my god!" You know, like when I talk about the chemicals that help you have a, a healthy period, also if they leak into the gut, basically cause it to ex you know your gut to explode, and, and that's happening every month. They're like, "Oh god, I didn't know that." You know, I could, and you don't have to be you don't have to be that brutally honest with your life partner or your new boyfriend, but um. But when you get gets talking, people are really well intended. So it's like, how do we tap into that intention of most men? And I say most men that is because that's in my my lens. I know that there are lots of people, lots of men who won't who won't be interested at all. And I've come across those. We've been trying to deliver education to groups of girls, and some men who are overseeing those groups of girls, whether they're you know sort of leaders in those organisations, have said, no, they're not coming. You're just going to tell them. You know, you're just going to kind of tell them that it's, it's okay to miss training and and like be weak and you're just interested in equality and I don't want you to come. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, equality. It's interesting you say that we're interested in equality because I feel I thought that was quite a good thing. But anyway, so you will get men like that as well. So um, it's tricky to navigate. I think education is key. And I one of the things I'm really passionate about is getting into places where anyone who supports women are. So that's managers, that's husbands, that's dads, that's coaches, that's personal trainers, that's GPs. Anyone who has the ability to support and influence a woman and has, or if they're tuned into this stuff, would do it better. Like, how can we get to them? Because we definitely don't yeah. do that. You know, we're just about starting to talk to men in the workplace about women going through the menopause and what that means. And those guys are like, oh my God, I just, <laughs> I knew none of this. So. Yeah, yeah, there is no one quick fix, but and, and men aren't the problem; they're part of the solution. Um, but yeah. it's, it is it is tricky because you know, just if women feel like we're living according to what we've been sort of told and how how we've been how we've you know how we're living our life is just because we thought that that was how it was. Well, you know, no surprise that men are going along with that. <laughs> they're not going to change until we help change it. Rest, rest assured, um, Emma, um, Amy has said that we need to organise a period march to force more research funding to ded dedicate to this topic. So you're, you're yeah. creating a movement. Yes, amazing. Well, do you know, what, do you know what's, complete, what's completely changed my mind during this talk is that I've always been the one to be like evidence-based science. I don't listen much to antidotal evidence because I just don't, if it's not got research, I don't really go there. And the same with Dr. Paul Rimmer, who's on board, where we kind of go on that basis. But what you've done is open my eyes to the fact that we can't really take that um, viewpoint. 
um, with women because there's just not the research. Yeah, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Like if we, if, if, you know, we can't say it doesn't work until we have enough evidence to say it doesn't or does work. And we, and, you know, universally on most women's things, we don't have enough evidence. And um, I'll give you, I'll give you one last um, example to make you feel, make the women amongst us feel pretty cross is, um, well, there's a great book. I'm going to show it to you. Because if you've got, if you're organising a period march, you'll definitely want to read this. It's called Invisible <laughs> Women, and it's by Caroline Criado Perez, and um, it's about the data bias in in the world. And I say in the world because she covers things like the built environment in healthcare, in um, the legal system, in immigration, in in anything, in natural disasters. Mm. Um, how women fare and the sort of the gap in what we understand about women's experiences. Um, and she tells a great story of. Um, it's not great. Uh, um, in, in health and safety testing of cars, um, because the safety dummy was designed on a default male, like a 70 kilogram male to the dimension, you know, it has to be very specific to the dimensions of a human because it's testing how a human reacts in a crash. Because cars were just tested with that for like the whole of time, women ended up being something like 30% more likely to be injured and 12% more likely to be killed in a crash than a man because their health and safety was designed on the crash test dummy that was a man. And no one in the whole of this time had gone, do you think if someone was smaller, different proportioned and lighter, they might react differently in a massive collision? Yeah. No, they didn't say that. So they didn't design the health and safety of cars for a long time, in fact, very, very recently on anything but a male and so women were just more likely to die. But that was not a conspiracy by anyone. No one was sitting there in the car industry going, I think, I think we've got too many women if we could just get rid of a few of them through car crashes. They <laughs> just flipping well forgot. And it's because, uh, you know, in the past, there's been too many men around those tables designing that stuff because women were at home looking after children. Their traditional roles, that, that was great. That worked for the world. But now the world has been designed by that group of men who were sitting around the design table because the women were at home. You know, the Apple Health Watch didn't have a menstrual health tracker until like two years ago. They designed it so that it could measure everything except the one thing that 50% of the population were gonna have that you need to track because there wasn't any women or there weren't any women who felt like they could speak up around the design table. So if we want to improve things, not only do we have to say more money into research, more people doing research, we have to have more women around the table saying, um, have we considered how yeah. this might affect women? So interesting. I think it's on topic as well with this entire Black Lives Matter movement. Like it's always the elite white men that have been making all the decisions when now it's not really benefiting any society. Like we need more women, we need more. It's a diversity, isn't it? Yeah, and we need people reflecting all experiences, all cultures, all genders, all um, experiences of gender um that we can because otherwise we get like you say we're going to design a world that's just suitable for one type of person um which which doesn't work now our world is so diverse and we don't have such oppression well we're trying not to have such oppression of all of these marginalized groups we, we want everyone to be equal but we can't until we design a world which is equal for them yeah 100 got the political then at the end sorry <laughs> yeah you got, you've got, got excited now you don't excited <laughs> on this I got, I got my big book out. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I'm going to read that book for sure. You'll like it. It's full of data. If you like data, it's full of data. It's just a bit depressing for women. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think this has been a real eye opener more than anything for maybe me being well. Dean probably knows about it for me anyway. Um, and I think a lot of people have taken huge amount of not um, like knowledge from this. But um, we'd love to get you back on a monthly basis or something, ideally, <laughs> to do this. Because <laughs> I mean, it's so, they, we, we can deep dive into specific things. I'm sure people are going to come back with loads of questions. But um, yeah, no, thank you. It's been amazing. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about your course. I think there's a few questions on it. Does it cover, um, what is it? Do you have like any bullet points what it covers or, and when? Oh, yeah, so if you go to the website, um, let me, I, uh, if you go to the website, yeah, it's got an outline. So it doesn't go, um, it doesn't go deeply into any clinical stuff. Again, some of the endometriosis, um, polycystic ovary, um, postnatal depression that stuff I do work with the GP where we we cover some of that stuff but in this um we're going through like what does the cycle look like across the lifespan and, and why does it change and, and some of the stuff will be revisiting what I've talked about tonight but it starts with puberty and and really about um it kind of it goes back to that point we we're talking about uh Dean where like how do we educate young women about their what their experience is going to be and how do we empower them to say this is flippant you know like and it feels a bit gross right now <laughs> But it's also flipping amazing. So, um, and what does puberty look like? And how, as a parent or a teacher or a person going through puberty, can you kind of optimize your experience of it? Then we go into mastering your cycle, a bit like we did tonight. And then on the last night, we do your changing cycle. So, um, like when you, well, we, we cover contraception in a lot more detail. So when you go on the pill, you obviously change your cycle. You you kind of get rid of it. When you come off the pill, your cycle can change you are interested in, in what your cycle looks like for fertility. So what does that look like postnatally, uh, perimenopausally and, and stuff around changing cycles. So yeah, so it's kind of going to be a bit of the same with this stuff, but also probably broadening out and another another opportunity to ask some questions. Um, 100%. Well, it sounds amazing. Everyone should sign up. And, 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 and follow if you follow me, I'll always be shouting about some of this stuff. So um, <laughs> yeah, following, yeah. I'll put all the links in as well, Emma, because obviously people might be too lazy to manually type things out. So I'll share all the links to things as well. Amazing. Um, but yeah, amazing. Any, so yeah, I think we've covered as much as can. I think, Dean, have you got any leaving remarks about uh, it? No, no, no. It's just, um, yeah, I can just, I knew, Emma, by bringing you on, and you can see the comments that are coming through now. People are people are literally blown away by it. So you've, you've made a massive impact. And yeah. Uh, um, yeah, you, like you're you're gonna you're gonna make a, a huge impact on like the individuals and what they've been taken away from it. So, uh, oh, as, as Scott said, we'll definitely uh, look to get you back if if you'd be keen. And um, you know, we're, we're we're all really passionate about supporting women's health mindset. You know, whatever it is, we're really keen to get experts in. So, uh, really appreciate you coming on on Tuesday night um, for a couple of hours. It means a lot. Oh, it's been lovely. I'm sorry I can't see everyone, um, but um, thank you all. And, and hopefully, yeah, take what you will and, and go forth and be awesome. Yes. Great Thanks, stuff. guys. Thank you.